couple of weeks ago when I started preparing for this Sunday, I had originally looked at the lectionary passages and chose the epistle reading. It's a beautiful text from the first chapter of Paul's letter to the church of Philippi that is filled with sunshine and light. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul writes, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you. But then I was sitting in worship last Sunday and Donovan was preaching from 1 Thessalonians basically the exact same message of thanksgiving. We thank God for you. I'm not sure we can ever say that or hear that enough. Nevertheless, I shifted to the gospel text for this morning from Luke's. But as he and I were talking midweek, I was teasing Donovan about how he is constantly stealing my sermon ideas and preaching them the week before I get up. And it reminded me of a time early in my ministry when I was uh, in my first church in Alpharetta and we held a community-wide ecumenical Thanksgiving service. And it fell to the longtime Methodist pastor to preach and he was trained in a different time and under different teachers and he began and pretty soon we realized that his sermon structure was T is for, H is for, A is for. And all I could remember thinking is, please God, let him stop with S. <laughs> Thanksgiving. We give thanks for you. It's true. But we also today give thanks for John the Baptist. All of our texts from the canticle we just sung to Malachi's prophecy to Luke brings us before John the Baptist. Hear the word of God. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee and his brother Philip ruler of the region of Iotira and Trachontius, and Lysanus, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went up into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill be shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You can guess that Christmas is on the way when the catalogs start overflowing your mailbox. Long before the first freeze or even your neighbors beating you and getting their decorations up, the avalanche of slick flyers comes. They're an anemic offspring of that glorious Sears Wonder Book that enlivened many of our childhoods back in the day. But still they come as gifts from merchants with toll-free numbers and easy-to-connect 
websites, all in the hope that we will buy what they have to offer. The other day I was talking to my buddy Bill who said the first one he received was from a company that specialized in Christian home decor. Imagine. Like other catalogs, there were smiling snowman doormats and weatherproof gift-wrapped coverings for your mailbox. On page three, the religious emphasis was revealed in a variety of nativity scenes in various materials. Following there was a eight-page multi-spread on angels. The catalog showed Advent wreaths and Moravian stars. And to no one's surprise, there was absolutely no John the Baptist merch to be found anywhere. Every year, John crashes our holiday party. He splashes cold water on our galas. Caterers do not serve his favorite menu items at our office parties. The time of the year when people dress in their holiday finest, John the Baptist shows up in coats of ragged animal skins. When he speaks, he interrupts, and when we have to ask him to turn down the volume. If it weren't for the lectionary readings in Advent, we probably wouldn't allow John the Baptist into our sanctuary at all. Nevertheless, John cries out, prepare the way of the Lord, make God's paths straight. He insists we remember the ancient Advent promise that all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Echoing the great figures of the Old Testament, John has the same prophet motive, insisting we prepare for the coming of God, strengthen the path, remove the rough spots, lower the mountains, lift up the valleys. It's not that we mind the message, just the messenger. Given the choice, we might prefer someone else, thank you very much. The most curious thing about the text for today is that Luke insists that the message did not come through anybody else. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, when Herod, the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonicus, and when Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, the word of God came to John. What a strange contrast. Luke lists five of the most influential leaders of the known world. He gives us a who's who of first century politics. When God sent the word to prepare for the coming of the Christ, the word did not go to the halls of power and influence. The word went to John. We might want someone else. Just think, if God had spoken to Tiberius Caesar, uh, the world would have been shaken awake. If God would choose to speak through the powers and principalities to the leaders of the nations who mobilize armies and pass laws, if God would only speak to Herod and Philip and Pontius Pilate, we could have had a whole new political order. Do you think it is more that God is not speaking or they are not listening, absorbed with other things. Years ago, when I was a seminary student serving a year-long internship at a church in Arlington, Virginia, trying desperately to figure out how to be a pastor, I had a chance to hear Archbishop Tutu speak at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., 
It was right after he had been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in helping to end apartheid in his home country of South Africa. He said something that day I have never forgotten. He told us of people back home gathered would often say to him, Bishop Tutu, you are so courageous. And he'd say, I am not courageous. You are courageous, they didn't say. How can you not be courageous when you say what you say to Prime Minister Bota? If you are not courageous, how can you do that? And he would smile and he'd say, I am not courageous. I have a long memory. Where is Herod? Where is Pilate? Where is Nero? Where is Hitler? They are the flotsam and jetsam of history, but the church of Jesus Christ goes on forever. In the 15th year of the emperor Tiberius Caesar, the word of God didn't go to Tiberius Caesar. Perhaps an emperor is too involved with running of the empire, defending the borders, increasing taxes, voting himself a raise. Those who they believe they're in charge of the world are usually too busy to hear the Lord. Luke says the word of God didn't go to the world's politicians. It went to John. What Luke goes on to say is even more surprising. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of the God didn't go to the priests. That, that comes as a, something of a shock because people like Annas and Caiaphas handle holy things, think holy thoughts, perform holy services. Yet God didn't speak to them either. It's a remarkable claim. Annas was the most influential priest of his generation. He cast such a prominent shadow over the temple that five of his sons attained the office of high priest. So did his son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas. Together, Annas and Caiaphas led the religious life of the entire country of Israel. Wouldn't we expect the Lord to speak to people like them? After all, they serve in the temple. They light the candles and fiddle with the paraments. They devote their lives to keeping God's commandments and translating them into proper religious deeds. Yet the Word of God did not go to them. How can we explain it? I don't know. It frightens me for the obvious reason that I have a job that's a lot like Annas and Caiaphas's. Like the priest in the Bible, the people of God expect me to have some measure of ease in handling holy things. It's my job to break the bread in plain view and pour the cup without spilling it. On beautiful afternoons when no one else is around, when the slanting sun turns this sanctuary a beautiful gold, I often walk around this holy space praying not ever expecting to be struck by lightning. The one thing we need is a word from God. The one gift we cannot purchase in a catalog is the word that names us, that claims us, that judges us, that redeems us. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In the 15th year of Tiberius season, God didn't speak to the politicians. And during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God did not speak to the religious leaders. 
Now the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And the people knew it. When John the Baptist spoke, it was as if God were speaking. They could sense his power and authority. Farmers left their plows in the fields. Merchants left their stores unattended. Everyone came to hear the strange prophet cry out that God was at hand. When they heard John, they knew in their bones it was true. The Lutheran pastor and writer Walt Wangerin, who I learned died earlier this year, used to tell about a woman in his congregation named Ms. Lillian. He never quite knew what to expect when she shook his hand after worship. On many Sundays, she said, well, you taught us today. On other Sundays, she'd look him in the eye, whoo, pastor, you preach today. One Sunday, when she reached out to shake his hand, Walt held on. Ms. Lillian, sometimes you say I teach. Uh-huh. And sometimes you say I preach. Hmm? Walt said, is there a difference? Ms. Lillian raised an eyebrow as if to say, didn't they teach you this in seminary? She said, yes, there is. What's the difference? She said, when you teach, I learn something for the day. I can take it home and God willing, I can do it. But when you preach, God is here. And sometimes God is smiling. And sometimes God is frowning. The Word of God came to John. When he preached, everyone knew that God was at hand. God was smiling and sometimes God was frowning. John's preaching had a profound effect on everyone who heard his voice because it sounded like one of the great prophets of God from old. God is at hand, John shouted, and the people knew they could not keep living casual, carefree lives. When you believe God is coming to set things right, you remove the roadblocks to your heart before God blasts them away. When you discover God has something to say, you cannot pretend you are the final authority on anything. For God is coming. Coming, as the poet says, like leaves fall, like frost, like dark, like a child waiting to be born. The valley of the shadows will be lifted up. The mountains of pride will be bulldozed to the ground. God will untangle the crooked ways of the heart and polish the rough edges of every available life. The Word of God came to John. Go to the palaces of power where politicians act as if they're in charge of the world. It didn't fill the temples of institutional religion where complacent clergy and nervous worshipers spray extinguishers on holy fire. The Word of God went to the wilderness where the winds howl, souls are parched, and hurts are yet unhealed. God spoke where God was needed, and it made all the difference in the world. For we can hear God's Word if our hearts are hungry. We can hear God's promises to give us life and heal our wounds. We can take the bread and drink the cup and remember how God has made the ultimate sacrifice to claim us as God's own beloved ones. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. That's the ancient promise during these days of Advent. It's a word we can count on. We shall see the salvation of God. 
as long as we pass by John the Baptist. Amen.